Apple presents events at the Apple Store. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome this evening's guest moderator from Salon.com, Andrew O'Hare. Thanks so much, guys. Uh, please come over to Salon.com and, and check us out. I write about film and other subjects, but I know you're not here to talk about me. Uh, we're here to talk about one of the genuine voices, one of the pioneers, one of the great filmmakers of American independent cinema, you know who I'm talking about, and we'll introduce him in a minute. Right now, I want you to watch the trailer for his new film. Has anybody here seen it yet? A few people. Okay, so some of you know what we're talking about here. A lot of you still have this in front of you. It's a really remarkable accomplishment. Let's take a look at a little piece of boyhood. Bumpers. Life doesn't give you bumpers. We have a new student joining us today. Hey, dude. Welcome to the suck. Hi! Mom. Have you been partying? A little bit. Oh, okay. What do you want to be, Mason? What do you want to do? Okay, guys, please join me in giving a terrific Soho Apple Store welcome to the director of Slacker, Dazed and Confused, the Before Sunrise trilogy, and uh, several other films that I'm not going to go, The Bad News Bears, let's not forget that, and, and the new IFC release, Boyhood, uh, as I said before, one of the great figures of American independent cinema over the last 20 years, Richard Linklater. What an odd filmography you chose out of eight so many titles. That's, that's fine. <laughs> what was the oddest choice? Oh, no, it's all good. <laughs> uh, anyway. So, Rick, the, the thing that some people, I guess probably by, by this point a lot of people have read or heard about this film, that you started making this film 12 years ago. Mm -hmm. And you didn't get it finished until now. Around this time in 2002. And what, made yeah. it, what motivated you to do such a crazy thing? Well, yeah, it is a crazy idea, admittedly. Um, you know, this idea came out of, uh, I always think like in, 
you know, like in science, a lot of your breakthroughs are your, pro your problem solving. You're trying to fix something. And what I was trying to fix was how to tell a story about growing up. You know, all my ideas were dispersed throughout. You know, I'd have an idea. I couldn't pick my one little 400 blows moment or that, you know, when you're making a film with kids, you're obviously, no one talks about it, but it's pretty obviously, you're, you're stuck with the physicality of your young actor or actors. You can't just have a eight-year-old and say, okay, now you're 13, let's play that. You know, you, you can't do that. And if there's a big enough gap, maybe you can cast someone else who looks vaguely like them and we all agree, like, okay, it's not them, but storytelling, we, we, we buy it. But this, I, I was really going for all of it. So I'd kind of given up on the idea of making, making this movie and then the idea hit me, like, oh, wow, why can't you just do a movie where you film a little bit and that I could cover this, you know, this broad cinematic canvas sort of opened up. And, oh, yeah, I can show the whole thing. I can show first grade and high school and, you know, junior high and the whole experience. So one through 12, first through 12th grade, that's where the 12 years came from. And then it's also, it's called boyhood, but it really could be called... Um, you know, parenting, parenthood, I guess that's taken, but, um, you know, there's, it's about parenting, it's about figuring out how to be a parent as well, you know, he's got Patricia Arquette and Ethan play their kind of divorced parents, but, you know, it's just maneuvering through life, so that was, the idea was like, oh, wow, so that was the fun part, like, oh, what a good idea, I haven't seen a movie like that, can it work, you know, uh, but, but then uh, the hard part was, actually doing it, you know, 12 years, so. Yeah, I mean, just just to be clear about this, so you, so you cast this kid, Eller Coltrane, who's really wonderful. Yeah, when he was he's, six he's year, amazing when guy. When he was yeah. six years old. I met him when he was six. The, met, the first okay. year when we were shooting, he was seven, yeah. Okay, but you shot him from age seven to age 18 or 19. Uh -huh. Yeah, and he's 19 now, so. And your daughter, Lorelai, is also in the film as his sister. Yeah. She was a little older at the beginning? Yeah, she was um, nine when we started. He was seven, she was nine. And she's like 20 now? 21. 21. Just turned 21. Wow. So. Yeah, so it's pretty tough. I mean, I never showed them footage all these years. And it, this what, didn't even feel like a movie. It was like we'd shoot about three days a year. Um, and, and it was my, like making 12 movies. You have to get the crew back together. You have to cast additional roles, location scout, tech scout, everything you would do on a movie. Uh, rehearse and uh, just all that. We would edit every year. It was, each one was like its own movie. But, you know, they're joined together kind of seamlessly. But um, I never really showed them... It didn't feel like a movie because there weren't any expectations. You know, the, the finish line was so far. Usually when you're making a movie, it's like, oh, and we'll be done in the spring and maybe we could come out in the fall. You know, like, yeah. there's an end zone somewhere in there. But this was almost abstract. For about the first five years, it just felt like something we were doing. It just... It, I guess... Some of the actors thought it was, I never thought of it as an experiment because it was pretty specific what we were trying to do, but it just felt like something else. Like a, I always call it like a time sculpture or something. But um, I didn't show the footage to the kids, but when we finished the film, all these years later, I gave them a DVD and just said, I suggest you watch this like alone. And uh, <laughs> just to build your relationship. You know, we all have home movies and pictures and we all have records of our lives at different age, but few people have narrative, you know, films that depict yourself well lit or whatever, you know, in a different context. So 
it, I knew it would be pretty mind-blowing for both of them. They find themselves in a position I don't think any actors ever really have. No. Not in a narrative. I mean, yeah. people have been subjects of documentaries like, oh, here I was in high school, and then years later they, you know, they've seen themselves. But I don't think quite in this form. So I think we were all very, uh, I don't know if it was protective or I was just sensitive to that. And... Uh, so I think it. And how did they react to that experience, a, seeing themselves as six-year-olds and seven-year-olds and eight-year-olds yeah. in this film? Eller, like I gave it to him, and then I just didn't hear from him for a while. And I was like, "You okay?" And then like he said, "Yeah, I watched it three times or so. You know, I cried a lot, but uh, you know, he, but uh, just emotionally, they, they both really liked the movie. But my daughter, young woman with all those, I, I don't know." She was like, yeah, it's really good. There's just one problem. There's this one really horrible performance and ugly person in it. Herself, of course. You know. And she's actually really great in the movie. I'm so proud of her. And everybody loves her in the movie. But she, uh, she kind of steals it for a, to a way. But, you know, you don't see that. You see yourself. Remember how awkward it was when you were young to even hear your own voice recorded oh, yeah, yeah, or yeah, see yeah. yourself? And that's kind of why I didn't show it to him over the years because... I didn't want them getting self-conscious or thinking something was odd in their, you know, the way they looked or anything, because it's kind of, but it is to see people go through awkward ages, but the adults too, you know, Ethan and Patricia start this in their yeah, they're in know, their 30s, 30s, and by yeah. the end, they're in their, well into their 40s, so they, they, as Ethan said once, I was showing him like eight years of the film, we were watching it, he's like, wow, they, they really grow up, we age. Yeah, <laughs> I said, yeah, I don't know when that point is when you stop growing and start aging, but it's, it, you know it when it's happening. Yeah, I, I sort of think the, se- <laughs> the secret subject of this film is growing older as an adult. Um, yeah, it, yeah, that's, that's even harder. It's like, yeah, it's, it's tougher, yeah. And did your relationship, so directing your daughter in a film, would that become an aspect of your like, father-daughter relationship over these years? I mean, it's, you would think it would be a big deal, but it kind of wasn't. You know, she grew up on movie sets. She she had known Ethan since she could since she was nine months old. Um, it's just really natural for her to be around me in a film environment. She was a natural performer. She really wanted the part. I didn't ask her to do it. She told me she was gonna once she realized there was a part for an older sister, kind of around her age range. I never. She sort of claimed the part, and I realized that would make my life easier. In a, in a way, I would know, because the volatility, you know, the unknowns of 12 years, the worst thing that can happen, and I didn't know that until I he- headed into this film, you can't really contract anyone to do anything over seven years. And so you can't say, hey, you have to do this. You know, it was all kind of, you know, we just kind of handshake agreement, faith that it would be a worthwhile thing to do. So, but the last thing I wanted was an actor moving to another country, <laughs> you know, one of these kids whose family takes off and, you know, it just made it, it would have made it difficult. I wanted like an ongoing collaboration. So Eller lives where I live in Austin, Texas, and I could just call him up or I would see him throughout the year if time allowed, you know, we, we would get together and I would talk about what's coming up next year and just see where he was at. And it was kind of this ongoing collaborative life project that was a lot of fun my own daughter, at least I knew where she would be every year. So that was one less volatile element to the potential trouble minefield out there. But is it true that Lorelai asked you once whether her character could die in the film? 
Yeah, well, that was about four years in. There was a, there was a moment, and I didn't really understand it. Yeah, it was the year she has to, there's a scene where the kids dress up and go to a Harry Potter book release. You know, a midnight. That's such a great scene. Yeah, yeah. So that, this whole film, I was always like, what's the thing you would remember? I want it to feel like a memory. If you're that age now, looking back on your life, it would be, oh yeah, there was this thing where we showed up and got a book at midnight. You know, that never happened when I was a kid. And it might not happen again. So those of you who are that age, it might be a once in a lifetime kind of phenomenon. But it was kind of fun. My daughter loved those books so much. And it just seemed, I had read them because it started, I was reading them to her. And then there was that sad day where she just got the book, you know, and read it and didn't need me anymore. <laughs> that happens. But uh, it was, she was dressing up. And I, I thought maybe she thought she was too cool to do that. Or, but it wasn't that. She still liked it. I thought maybe she was dressing up as McGonagall, not Hermione. I thought she was pissed about that. But that, that wasn't it either. She told me just a few weeks ago, we were in London at the um, Harry Potter World or the studios. Where it's a really cool thing where they... Where they made the movies, all the sets are still there. You can go visit. It's like an amusement park, really, or a theme park or whatever. Um, that Harry Potter had been so real to her at that time. Me making a, her dad, I was kind of crapping on, you know, her reality where she thought she was going to get a letter from Hogwarts or something. And, you know, so that's what the emotional... Right. reaction but overall I mean that was just a blip it's kind of funny kind of my character die but um, I said no you know it's a little dramatic for the movie <laughs> we're not going to do that but yeah. but she was back with it she she worked hard and liked the whole process and also movie sets are fun for kids you know even they're fun for everybody you know especially young people there's a lot of food a lot of adults doting on you a lot of you know it's potentially a lot of fun so we just, it was my goal to make it a fun thing in their lives and something you look forward to somewhere between like summer art camp and, or acting, <laughs> performing camp and like a family reunion. You know, the, there's a crew coming back every year too. A lot of people. Do you who, have the same crew for the whole time? Well, as much as you can. You know, it was always getting cast, you know, scheduling. There's a lot of practical, logistical concerns, but. Uh, yeah, a lot of the crew worked the whole time. It was kind of amazing. Um, and they really looked for It was fun for them to grow up with the kids, you know, on this, for them to just, it was like a big, you know, they always say movies are like a family. And they kind of are, but this was that times 12, you know. Why don't we take a look at a clip that's from fairly early in the film. I think the kids are fairly young in this one. This is with Patricia when they're getting ready to move. Oh, yeah, this and is... Um, Anything you want to say about this one before we take a look yeah, at it? Yeah, it's, it's in year one. She's, year one, okay. She's uh, going back to school, the single mom, and, and she's just pulling them out of their, away from their friends in their house. And, you know, when you're a kid, that's pretty, pretty traumatic. Moving is tough, yeah. Yeah, it's not really fun. So the, um, the older sister's giving mom hell, I think. There before it gets dark. Goodbye, yard. Goodbye, crepe myrtle. Goodbye, mailbox. Goodbye, box of stuff Mommy won't let us take with us, but we don't want to throw away. Goodbye, house. I'll never like Mommy as much for making us move. Samantha, why don't you say goodbye to that little horse shit attitude, okay? Because we're not taking that in the car. Goodbye, old lady. Listen to rock music and ride the motorcycle. Boy. 
clips on this movie are really tough because it's always it's this collection of small little intimate moments. You know, mostly when you see someone on a talk show and they're showing you a clip, you got to think, okay, that's either the funniest scene in the movie or the most exciting or you wouldn't be showing a clip on The Tonight Show. We don't have any clip in this whole movie. I don't know what it says about the movie, but it's really hard to... to it needs a lot of context, and it seems so kind of normal. So, well, it, it, it's because it's a movie that it doesn't depend on somebody committing a felonious act or shooting somebody else in the head. It's <laughs> it's about a lot of little no. moments. Yeah, right? yeah, but it's just each one out of context is just kind of I feel kind of weird about it. It's like, yeah, you know, it's that's not the movie. It's, a, it's, it's some much greater than the parts, I hope. It, that's, I think that's definitely true. Yeah. And, and how much, we were talking about this a little bit the other day, how much did you allow the kids' real lives as they grew up to influence what went into the movie? Well, I mean, you start with a bunch of ideas. I remember telling Eller, like, well, this isn't you at the beginning. I mean, both of the, both of the kids were, I think, in a way, much more advanced than their characters. We wanted them just to be, quote-unquote, normal kids, whatever that is. So they didn't really dress the way they dressed. Their taste wasn't going to be, you know, shown till they were a little bit older. But I, I told them, at some point, you'll merge with the character. It'll start to be you. So at the beginning of the film, you know, he's just laying in the grass, staring at the sky. I think that that's kind of Eller. I mean, that's not really Eller. That's Mason, this character. By the end, he's up in a mountain, sitting, gone off to college. That is kind of him. It's sort of, it's him. But I didn't really use specific things from his life, like, oh, this happened to me this year. Oh, let's put that in the movie. Just little things, you know, like he'd have, he, had, he would call me. He was very conscious about his responsibility to the movie. He'd call me up and go, hey, is it okay if I get an earring? Is that, you know, would that fit the story? And, you know, we was this, or he had some nail polish on one year, and I thought, oh, well, let's use that. You know, so I was always just taken from him, whatever he, he was at. But it wasn't, any, it wasn't a lot of big story things. But that said, I would give him assignments the year before. I would say, okay, next year you meet a girl at a party and you have this kind of intimate conversation. So th for the next year, I want you to, when you're in that situation, by this point he's high school age. And I said, look, write down stuff. I want you to write this scene you know, with me. Like, write down a conversation you would have. I, you need to reveal more about yourself here, what you're thinking and how you're feeling. And, you know, so it was, he would just spend that year and come at me with stuff. So it be, he just became a, a collaborator, just like any other actor I would like to work with. And, um, yeah, by the end, we're, we're sitting around a table rewriting scenes together. I mean, he's, he's, I work with him just like I would Ethan Hawke or Patricia or anybody. Oh, that's, that's awesome. Yeah. And now... You know, it appears that nobody has ever done this exact thing before, filming the same cast of people over a really extended period of time. There are a few things that are slightly similar, similar including your three films with, with uh, Ethan and Julie Delpy. Uh, you know, the Michael Apted made a series of terrific documentaries yeah. about real people's lives. I think you see it more in the documentary but, realm. Yeah. And, but even then, they, they have these big time gaps in that, you know, which is amazing. They're up to, what, 56 up now? They're... Um, there are these seven-year gaps. And, you know, Steve James, you know, the great documentarian, he, he has a lot of longitudinal kind of documentaries, too. So I, I, I think that's interesting. They prove how powerful cinema is a powerful recorder of real moments and time and people and all that. But, you know, the narrative aspect is... Um, it, I, I think 
it's a very simple idea, but here at the end of the road, I can kind—I kind of know why no one's done. It. <laughs> what, was Again, the hard, what was the hardest thing? It's about control. That you, you know, we're all control freaks. You have to be to be, to make movies, and you realize you're relinquishing a lot of control. You're relinqu—you know—you're just you're shaking hands with uh, the random unknown future to that degree, and you're you're collaborating with that. So. You know what, I, I heard recently, you know, I expected to get to this phase and have someone telling me, oh, well, there was a film in, you know, Finland made from 58 to 70, you know, like, but it, it hasn't happened. But someone told me that Stanley Kubrick, on two occasions, Napoleon, he, I think he wanted to cast Al, a young Al Pacino, this is in the early 70s, and film him over all these years as Napoleon at different stages. So he, he was kind of circling this idea and also, I think some early thinking behind AI included the character aging. So I think apparently Kubrick was around this, but I can't, of all filmmakers, to give up control. That must have been a real battle for Kubrick. You yeah, know, the Pacino film sounds amazing, but it could never have happened, I don't think. Yeah, but you have to kind of give up your control freak status, and he's the ultimate control freak. But I, I'm kind of, it's really intriguing to me that he, he was kind of playing with this idea, apparently. But uh, I just had to say, Instead of being, because people ask me, well, what if someone, you know, would have died? What if, you know, like, what if, what if? But it's kind of, it's how you go through life, you know. You know, we all have a plan for the next 12 years. You know, cinema is a real natural part of my life. I want filmmaking to feel very natural, you know. I never like those war analogies like, oh, every film is this battle to the death. You know, a lot of guys have these war analogies. It's an unnatural thing. I was like, well, films should be natural. It's just an extension of life and who we are. And I wanted to make them feel a normal part of life. So, you know, I'm in, films have been my whole adult life. So I could imagine myself, for me, it wasn't a big deal to commit to 12 years and neither was it Patricia or Ethan. You know, they all knew it was an adult commitment. So, um, but you, you just have to give up you know, the idea that you can control all of it. Things can happen and all that, but you have to look at it at that random unknown has to be the fun part. It's like, well, who knows what's gonna happen in the future? You know, there's a scene, you know, I was trying to get things you would remember in the, the presidential election of 08. You yes. know, this is before the election, it's in the campaign phase where, you know, Ethan's character is pretty political and they're putting in Obama signs. You know, this That's is Texas, scene, so yeah. there's someone across the street with a McCain sign, obviously, and they're going to steal him. It's a, it's a fun little bit. But, uh, you know, I didn't know in 02 who was going to be running in 08, but it's just something from the culture. I'm like, oh, cool, let's include that. You know, so you're, you're sort of looking. It was a fun life project because you were always on the lookout for things that might fit into the movie. And in, in all that gestation time, thinking about growing up, thinking about, parenting, it was also thinking about the world they were inhabiting. I wanted it to seem very realistic. So what things do you represent over the years? And it was just odd to be shooting a, a period piece film, looking at scenes and well, no one's going to see this for 12 years. What's it going to look like? You know, but technology ended up being the thing that really showed the, the time passing. That's the only thing that changed a whole lot. Computers and, you, and yeah, and you shot the whole thing on uh, on old school thirty five millimeter, didn't you? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I remember at the time. I mean, now it's old school. At the time, I never questioned it. I, I knew, you know, thirty five would be the way to go. It's the most stable medium, you know. Um, so I don't regret that. But it ended up kind of the best of both worlds. Shot on film, and then all the digital 
goodies for post-production. And we had a joke early on, because um, you know, I'd, I'd seen those technologies evolving and it was really interesting. I, I was anticipating and you know, liking everything, but it just wasn't, to me, I didn't like the way the, the look just yet. I, I've since you know, come aboard that with um, certain cameras and things, but um, I would joke, you know, filmmaking is so much about the perfection of the image, you know, if there's a flaw, you know, it's like, oh, that was the perfect take, but there was a mic shadow, you know, in old school filmmaking, you had to go, ah, don't even print it, we gotta go, oh, there's a reflection uh, in the mirror, and as we did this film, I was always saying, ah, you know, 12 years from now, we'll just, they'll be able to just, we'll fix that, and everybody would laugh, you know, I would say that probably five times a day when there was some kind of little flaw, and I was enjoying that because I just knew it would happen. And they would even, the crew would joke with me like, oh, there would just be a bus, maybe an actor, something would, a major flaw. And, the, and someone would just say, oh, no problem. 12 years from now, we'll just fix that. You know, so, but uh, it happened. 12 years later, we're in the post like, yeah. Eh, eh, eh. Even like three days before we were supposed to uh, deliver everything we heard from the NFL, I had a, a poster in the background of a bowling alley from year two that they weren't letting us use. It's, this is the kind of pain in the ass part of filmmaking that Amazing. is ridiculous, but it's, yeah, we can't legally clear that thing in the background. And it was like, okay, fuck you. <laughs> Free, didn't cost anything. You know, if that was 1993, that would have taken three weeks and cost $40,000. Yeah. yeah, you know, so, yeah, it's great. Let's give let's give Ethan a little chance with a clip yeah. from uh, this is a clip that this is a clip in the car. A lot of car the, scenes. There's, there's a lot of scenes in the car, but I, I think when you, you have know separated parents, the dads coming to pick you up. A lot of driving. Yeah. With uh, it's the only time kids talk to their parents anyway. You know when you're driving. So. And it's great that this particular separated dad has a GTO. I think that's the ultimate divorced dad car. He starts know? off the film with a GTO. Yeah. He's still kind of hanging on to that, but Sadly, by the end, yeah. uh, I won't give it away. No, but. that's a that's a spoiler. We don't want to go there. Okay, in the car. Let's see that. Talk to me. Samantha, how was your week? Uh, I don't know, Dad, it was kind of tough. Billy and Ellen broke up, and Ellen's kind of mad at me because she saw me talking to Billy in the cafeteria. And you remember that sculpture I was working on? Well, it was a unicorn, and the horn broke off, so now it's a zebra, okay? But I still think I'm gonna get an egg, right? Mason, uh, how was your week? Well, Dad, you know, it was kind of tough. Joe, he's kind of a jerk. Actually, he stole some cigarettes from his mom, and he wanted me to smoke them. But I said no, because I knew what a hard time you had quitting smoking, Dad. How about that? Is that so hard? Dad, these questions are kind of hard to answer. What is so hard to answer about what sculpture are you making? It's abstract. Okay, okay, that's good. See, that's, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't know that. I didn't know you were even interested in abstract art. I'm not. They make us do it. But, Dad, I mean, why is it all on us, though? You know, what about you? How was your week? You know, who do you hang out with? Do you have a girlfriend? What have you been up to? I see your point. So we should just let it happen more naturally, right? That's what you're saying. Okay, that's what we'll do. Starting now. I didn't, I, I failed to set that up properly, but um, he was, you know, the dads, they're in the car driving. He said, well, how, how was your week? Oh, fine. What are you up to? Not much. You know, that kind of conversation. He literally pulls the car over and says, no, we're going to talk to you. You know, I'm, he's really consciously trying to be a dad and have that relationship. So it's kind of endearing his character's very, uh, he's just trying hard. 
not always succeeding, but trying. You know. Yeah, I, I almost found that inspiring. I think I yeah. tried that with my kids about a week after I saw the movie. Did I'm, it work? I'm not sure that it worked. But, yeah, but you but, know, it's worth trying. <laughs> it's worth trying to connect. In, in terms of getting this project off the ground, was the hardest thing getting money committed, or was there were there other things that were more of an obstacle? It it wasn't really that hard. I got very lucky that um, IFC Jonathan Searing who's right here, over there, the man standing in the corner. Um, I had done two films with him, Waking a Life. patron of the arts, ladies and gentlemen. Absolutely. Um, I think I got lucky. I had, I had floated the idea by a few producers I had worked with in the past, and they were just like, what are you talking about? You know, tw- 13 years from now, we won't, you know, no, I don't, they couldn't wrap their heads around it. But I think because IFCs, you know, they're a big company, part of a media company, they got a library, they have to kind of think long term. And uh, Jonathan, he liked the idea and gave us, uh, you know, a couple hundred thousand every year to shoot on film, pay, you know, union minimums and get it done, you know. So it was a huge leap of faith. And uh, everybody, uh, you know, we, we just, a lot of faith all around from the film, from IFC, from, you know, so that was just a real blessing, I think, um, you know, no risk, no reward, you know, in this year, in this world, particularly the arts, you know, you know, Hollywood is always hedging bets and doing all the safe stuff. And it's natural. It's a natural way of thinking. But, you know, you do, everyone's so afraid of losing their job or, you know, so everyone plays it safe in these, in the industries. But you really, you know, you got to admire people who kind of jump off the cliff with you, <laughs> with your crazy ideas. So I'm, I'm forever thankful. And it, it, se- it seems to me that the thing you were talking about with your um, collaboration with the unknown future, as you have put yeah. it, is do you do a version of that with every movie that you do? I mean, do you have to view every project uh, as a, maybe a smaller version of that? Yeah, yeah. Every, every undertaking and, and everything that you do is, is a big leap. You know, you're, you're going to be committing a lot of time and effort and your life to it. This was just that times 12. You know, it was just a big decision. So everything felt like, I mean, I tried not to obsess about it too much, but just casting this kid. I mean, that's a huge decision, you know? That's going to determine. So every, every element of it, casting and just the whole methodology and just everything. But, you know, so is life. You know, we, we all commit to these career paths and partners and, you know, all these things. So it's not outside of our normal realm of behavior it's just it's just different in the uh, in the filmmaking world i guess why don't we see if we can get some questions from the audience i think that would be perfect we have uh... first of all thanks for all your films i love your movies well, thank you. And two questions. Were you influenced at all by the Michael Apted films, the documentaries, Seven Up to Fifty Six Up, watching people over a long period of time? And also, do you have any interest in taking these characters forward uh, after this film? Um, like I said earlier, I think those the documentaries I've seen that do these time jumps, or I think, you know, maybe the better, you know, the Truffaut, Dwanwell films, you know, 400 Blows through Love on the Run, Stolen Kisses, all those are, you know, you see a guy age over 20 years, but it's not, again, it's kind of chapter by chapter, parts of their life. It's not, you know, incremental year by year, but uh, I always knew, yeah, those Apted, Michael Apted, he saw the film in LA about two weeks ago or so. He came up, I know him a little bit. 
he came up to me after, and this leads to your second part, your question about, Abt had told me, he says, keep going. You know, so that, I haven't even acknowledged this is over yet, but I get at, I'm starting to get asked that a lot. And I thought, well, this was just this story. I wanted to tell this story. So I don't know what I'll think in the future, but... Um, Boy I, had through first marriage, you know, whatever. You just never know. So. My question here is, um, you gave us an example of the, the, Obama, the Obama sign. Um, was there a, a loose, um, was there like a campaign thing that's going to happen? Or like, how did you structure the, the, entire, the entire script in the sense of um, to get to allow room for those kind of things to happen, which always oh. happen during filmmaking, but um, yeah, how loose Yeah, you're asking how, just yeah. scripting process. Yeah. Well, I mean, I had like the structure of the film, it, I would say highly structured. I, I told the cast, okay, here's where you're gonna, you're gonna move here. And the bigger architectural things, you know, like uh, changing schools or moving or getting divorced again. And, you know, it's the big things like that. I had all structured. Patricia says, I, I called her up and we talked for two hours when she agreed to do this movie. And she said, I kind of laid out the whole film for her. What I had that kind of worked out. But the real fun of this was that that year, I mean, film, it's, it's frustrating sometimes because you, you put all your thinking up front in the script and all your, all your thinking, and then, then you're shooting, for whatever long your shoot is, and, you, and that's, it's just going, and then, you know, there's post. Sometimes during a shoot, you want to just slow down and say, it would be great to just edit and think for a while and feel the way how it's working, and, you know, it's a real struggle sometimes, the pragmatic sense of production. You're sort of manufacturing and I have filmmaker friends who just, yeah, you want to just kind of step off and think a little bit. Well, this film allowed that, I mean, to such a degree. Shoot three days, edit, attach it to this ever-growing film, edit the whole thing again, you know, maybe go off and do another movie or something and come back and watch the whole thing, think some more, feel your way through. So incorporating all those things. So it was really written every year within the, the boundaries of the structure. And I'm kind of adapting things to this, this cast that's growing up a year, every year. So I'm kind of playing off little essences of them or, yeah, and the culture and just how I think it's going. So it was fun. It was really, I'm, I'm spoiled now. I want to work like that always. Just take a lot of time off during production. And my next film, yeah. Hi, um, I was able to see the film a few months ago. It's really excellent. Thanks for making it. Um, but one thing I really enjoyed about the film was the music. And I was wondering if you could talk about, because I noticed while I was watching, I would kind of be able to pinpoint what year it was based on a popular song at the time. Is that something you were conscious of at the time? And did you go back, you know, last year when you were putting it together? Did you think, okay, 2002, this was a popular song, that Hoku song we saw in the clip? And also, you know, that great scene with Ethan Hawke talking with Eller about the Beatles. What was the process of getting the rights for, for songs throughout the film? That's Thanks. a great question. Yeah, music is a big part, you know? I mean, I wanted it to be the music of, of this time. So uh, it really depended on what character's point of view it was. You know, if, if it's Ethan listening, he's listening to like Wilco or Bob Dylan or something. And, you know, at the beginning, early, Patricia's listening to, you know, Sheryl Crow. And uh, it just kind of runs the gamut. But a lot of the pop music or some of the hits of that, those years, I didn't really, I mean, 
stuff filters up to me, but music will never imprint you as much as it does, let's say, age six or seven to 20, when you can hear a song and go, eighth grade, summer, you know, like boom, boom, boom. Like music and I think smells, it's been proven, are the two most, like, uh, I guess, nostalgia-inducing elements of your life. So I wanted to get that right. And a lot of the music, not all, particularly the early stuff, I was um, kind of going back and listening to a lot of music from those years that I hadn't really been that aware of or vaguely aware of. I have nephews, and I would pay attention to what they're listening to. And if something really impressed me, I'd, you know, maybe make a note of it. But so I had all these, this music and I had a lot of interns and people who were roughly, maybe a little bit older than my characters, young people around the editing room and stuff. And so a couple guys, I, you know, kind of ended up consultants, but I had them write narratives about each song we were putting out there. And, you know, I, I wanted some kind of personal connection like, oh yeah, summer of 06, that was what, that was everywhere. Or I remember driving around all night listening to that, or I broke up with a girl and I heard that song and it made me feel, you know, like it had some connection, because they weren't really my connections. Other movies in the past, you know, I, I could, uh, that was my soundtrack of my life, but I was very aware as an older person, this wouldn't be the soundtrack of my life, but I want it to be the soundtrack of somebody's life. I didn't want to just be throwing in random stuff, so I, I, I tried to attach it to someone's you know, experience in a way, even if it wasn't my own. But as it got, as he got older, like into high school, um, his taste, you know, kind of came to the fore. And, you know, I was lucky to get stuff like Arcade Fire and, you know, Black Keys. And, you know, just we, we got very lucky with the music. It's, it's, it's often, you know, really expensive and just difficult to get. But a lot of the music we had, um, you know, was trying to, exploit maybe some connection, someone who knew somebody who knew somebody, so you could kind of throw it out there. I got word to Coldplay or Chris Martin, because at the beginning, we have a Coldplay song, and I was like, oh, we'll never get that, you know, but, you know, if someone knew someone, I think when they hear we spent 12 years on it, we don't have any money, they kind of go, well, yeah, maybe, but we did a deal where they, if the movie makes a lot of money, they make a lot of money, just like a lot of the creative people involved. So it, it worked out, but I feel very lucky. I mean, we got the Dylan song. We got Paul, Mc Sir Paul gave us a, <laughs> you know, band on. It was, it was really touching that I just feel really lucky. Thank you. Hi, first of all, um, I think the Before Trilogy are some of the best films I've ever seen. Um, my question is, um, when I was looking up this movie, I found out that it was two hours and 45 minutes. Um, and I actually think that's a perfect length for a movie like this. Did you um, think that you were going to make a film that long when you started? No, I, I mean, I kind of, the 12 years, I thought, oh, 10 minutes a year, roughly two hours. But I've never done a film that I sensed, God, this thing wants to be what it wants to be. You know, the first year to build those relationships and put in the scenes I wanted and to the pace of it, it was just coming in a little long every year. And I was like, well, I'll keep editing and keep, but it was just, you know, I've never really made, of all my movies, I've never really cracked two hours. You know, I believe in that, like, especially comedies, you know, efficient storytelling, don't, you know, I'm, I'm not one of those guys who just every film should be three hours long. You know, I really, I've made 80 minute films, you know, I, I think that's a good length for a movie. So this just wanted to be, I mean, at the end of the day, I mean, I was cutting things year 11 and 12 from the first year still and just, 
it just wanted to be not a minute longer than this or a minute shorter. And I, I was ready for some backlash, like, oh, I don't have two hours and 40 minutes to be in a movie theater. But I was like, eh, you know, if we can spend 12 years, you can spend an extra 25 minutes, you know, watching the movie. It's, and and the, I was thankful no one's complained about that. No one has ever, I mean, from the feedback we've gotten so far, people are like, oh, if you like it, you're just in for the whole run. It just, time goes by, you know? I mean, it's, it's a weird phenomenon. What I've experienced, people like, I, they had no idea it was that long. Like, they're feeling like it was, they didn't know how long it was after it was over. They felt it was a lot shorter. But you know how time's very relative. It just kind of flies by. And I was talking to someone the other day, a critic, was interviewing me, he says, you know, your film's the exact running time of the new Transformers movie. And, that's and, true, and he yeah. said, he said, I couldn't wait. That felt like a lifetime or something. He was just, he was complimenting this film, but uh, I haven't seen that film, but. Hi, I'm just wondering, um, who are your biggest influences in terms of like film, whether it be a director or an actor? Um, I have two questions. The second one goes to Waking Life. Can you lucid dream? Oh, yeah, yeah. I'm a, the Waking Life was based on a uh, kind of a lucid dream I had as a teenager, believe it or not. And it's been a phenomenon. I, I just kind of naturally did that a lot. So making that movie, I kind of got into the science of it. So it's kind of a how-to manual for those who are interested in it. it some of those techniques are... So it was a phenomenon I was very interested in. But I don't so much anymore, but I could if I think about it. It's a kind of a discipline you can do. So pretty, pretty fascinating. And the first part of your question, influences? Oh, gosh. Um, oh, so many. You know, just everything. You know, if you love movies, you love them all. So, you know, I think in terms of national cinemas, new German cinema, you know, the Japanese films of the 60s, the new, you know, French New Wave, American films, you know, silent movies, all of it. You know, you can name anyone, I'll tell you what I think about them. But, um... But I, I, I love it all. It's, it's a, big, a big question. Oh, hey. Hey, how's it going? Ooh, okay, good. Um, okay, so your entire filmography, you've got some, like, Days Confused is like 18 hours time span. Then you have the Before Trilogy. It's like moments yeah. over years. And then this one is just an entire, like, chapter of someone's life. Yeah. Uh, I think it's really interesting how you play with time like that, but... What was like the most challenging of those different uh, time lapses, and which one did you kind of enjoy of all diving the films? into the most? Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, this film kind of tweaks my average pretty enormously. You know, I have all these short movies, so add twelve years and divide by. I'm I'm back up to each one's an epic now, but um, yeah, I always find myself. I think if I've had to think about it a lot. In this, in this process. And I think in a general sense, um, I'm a big believer in structure. You know, I think that's the way the mind works. We, we kind of find structure and patterns and we, I mean, let's face it, humans created time. The universe doesn't think of itself in years or millennia. You know, I mean, like that's our trying to make sense of this life we're living. And, um, but it's innate to our thinking. So I'm a big believer in structure. So I think I've largely replaced like conventional plot points with, well, story, character, but then structure. And a lot of those structures are kind of time-based. 
And it's, it's for a reason. It just depends on what particular kind of story you're telling. And not every film. I've done much more you know, conventional. Um, it just depends on what story you're telling. But quite often, I end up in these uh, time, little slices of time, uh, whether it's real time. I've done that a couple times in tape. And before sunset, they're kind of a real time. And that, that's difficult. That's, that has its own challenges. That's just as hard as 12 years here. And in Waking Life is arguably, you don't, no one can say what's the time frame of that movie, because I don't know, you know. So it's arguably very little time. So you, you just don't know. But I, I do think um, there's something about time that I'm always trying to explore, because it's just, it's, I don't know, the reality of how we perceive this, you know. So I think that's where a lot of stories are. For me, anyway, in the outer, you know, in the boundaries of uh, cinema and storytelling, and I'm always, th I think a lot about that, and I keep coming back to that. I think a lot that that's where there's a lot of new territory. I always th thought of film as the Wild West. You know, there's just a lot of open territory out there to be claimed. You know, I, I approach cinema that way. And narrative is, is still wide open. There's a lot of stories to tell. There's a lot of properties to cinema, unlike, say, theater or even literature, that, that are very particular to film. That the way we perceive it, the way we identify with it, that filmmakers can actually use to tell a new kind of story that isn't even experimental. It's not that radical, but you can communicate using those, those elements. So I've always felt there was something really cool and exciting there. So this is just one more, uh, one more kind of storytelling example of that kind of thinking, you know? So anyway, I think that's my best overall <laughs> thought. I hope I answered your question, but, uh, but thank you. You know, I had one reader send me something that I hadn't thought of, and you probably haven't thought of it either. Those kids, and they may have been from Texas, I don't remember, who made a version of Raiders of the Lost Ark that they started filming when they were little kids. I heard about that. They're and old they, now, right? And they finished it when they were... So Indiana Jones starts out being played by a kid yeah, that's and ends such up a as an adult. That's almost the closest thing. A total accident, I guess. But Yeah, and so, that they stuck with it. Have You guys yeah. know about this? It, it's the called film Raiders of the Lost Ark, the adaptation, right? Yeah. Like that. It yeah. played at the Alamo Drafthouse where I live. And I, I didn't... I never really saw it, but I saw some trailers to it, and it just seemed like kids recreating kind of shot by shot. But it took... What, they're in year 20-something? Something so, like but that, that must start with, like, bad VHS, and then probably, hope, hopefully, that money, it ends up looking wholly different. But then I heard he's, like, a middle-aged, not middle-aged, but a guy, you know, who's 30-whatever. He's an adult, yeah. Yeah, who's yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now playing. That's, that's pretty remarkable. It's a pretty strange, a pretty strange counterexample. Yeah, yeah but, no, but, I want to see that. But your, your experiments with time and narrative, such, such a, an amazing addition to American cinema. I want to thank uh, the Apple Store and thank you guys for Yeah, for thanks for being here. It's and good, thanks, good talking Richard to you guys. Later, so, everybody. Thank you.